The rest of us this morning are going to be talking about the sovereignty of God. I think it was R.C. Sproul, one of my favorite writers, who said, the sovereignty of God is God's favorite doctrine. He also said, if you were God, it would be your favorite doctrine too. And I think he's right. When we're talking about the sovereignty of God, we're talking about the kingship of God, the lordship of God, that that He is above everyone and everything, that He deserves all praise, all glory, that He's in charge, He's in control, He's the King. Yes, indeed, if you were God, it would be your favorite doctrine too. I believe it was the Puritan John Owen who, when speaking of the sovereignty of God, said, When you speak of the sovereignty of God, you should speak very softly because you're speaking about the very heart of God. I would have to agree with John Owen as well. I find motivation to talk about the sovereignty of God this morning because of a lot of of different things. I'm motivated to talk about the sovereignty of God because some of you don't know what it is. That's motivating for me. I'm motivated to talk about the sovereignty of God because I know that some of you have never heard a sermon on the sovereignty of God. Much, much less heard it emphasized in sermons on other things. I'm motivated to talk about the sovereignty of God because I think way too often we either ignore it, deny it, or maybe worst of all, we marginalize it. And we end up marginalizing God. I think the most controversy I've ever created ever in my life that I know of is when I spoke on the sovereignty of God at a Christian institution not that long ago. We went verse by verse by verse by verse by verse just like we'll do today. Seeing all over the place that God is number one, God is in charge, and God does whatever He wants to do because He's God. And I literally had people asking me, if I found this in a book somewhere or if I just came up with it on my own, I couldn't believe it. I I was was flabbergasted. And so, based upon that, speaking at an evangelical institution, based upon that, I think to myself, I'm at least going to do what I can within my little sphere of influence here, and then we can talk about these things so that you would know what the Bible says about God, what God has revealed about Himself. And, and so the, those of you who are parents, you can, you can do your very best by the grace of God to teach your children who God is so that we can think rightly about God and so that we can glorify God and praise Him as He is meant to be praised. I realize it's written off a lot of times as being impractical, For me, in my life personally, as a Christian, not to mention a pastor, some of you are saying, yes, I I know exactly what you're going to say. I can think of very few things in my life that are more practical to me. Through all of life, it's ups and it's downs and everything in between. I can't think of anything in my life, really, that is my mainstay, that is my backbone, if you will, than trusting in a God who is above me and a God who is in charge. I 
can't think of anything that elicits my praise and, and my personal worship to this great God more than my belief based upon the Scripture that God is God and I am not and He is in charge. He's sovereign. He's the King. And so we'll look at the sovereignty of God this morning. We no doubt will not get done. I already tried that in one service and failed miserably. So for the next two weeks, we'll talk about the sovereignty of God. We're going to be all over the place. Usually, we try to be in one place in the Bible, at least on a steady basis. We'll be all over the place. Don't let that be intimidating to you if you're new to the Bible. Just listen. I had one mentor, one teacher who used to say when we'd come into his class, men, it's time to get out the WD-40 because you're going to need to be well lubricated to be able to find all of these passages in a short amount of time. Well, if you need the WD-40, break it out, spiritually speaking, but otherwise you can just listen, you can jot down the passages. But I avoided making a handout for this, even though we're going to be all over the place, because I do want you to at least look the passages up in, in your Bible so you can see it in the Bible that you hold. You can mark your Bible up so like never before you're thinking rightly about God and who He is as the King. Lord willing, speaking of the next two weeks, it's on my calendar starting the first week in September on Sunday nights to start a series called God in the Old Testament. And we're going to do a survey of the Old Testament, but we're not going to do the traditional survey that here are the major characters and here's the timeline and, and there's a good place for that, but we're not going to do that. We'll do a book of the Bible of the Old Testament per week, Lord willing, and we'll answer the question, what does this teach us about who God is? And what are the implications for our lives? So that's going to start, Lord willing, in just a couple of weeks. And yes, believe it or not, on Sunday mornings we'll get back to Matthew and Matthew 24. I think that was going to be a one-week break originally. And uh, here we are, summer later. So, Lord willing, it's on my agenda, and I've been working on Matthew 24. So that's where we're headed in the days ahead. But today we're not going to be in one particular book of the Bible. We're going to be talking about the sovereignty of God all over the place in the Bible. And I trust you're motivated. One theology book gives this definition, and by the way, this isn't authoritative. I just want to start with the definition so you can at least hear it. We'll see if the Bible supports it, because that's our authority. But this is a good definition, I believe. It says, with reference to God, sovereignty means God is the supreme ruler and authority. That He ordains whatever comes to pass, and that His divine purpose is always accomplished. I think we'll see that that is a good Definition drawing upon Scripture. I looked up sovereignty in Webster's Dictionary some time ago, and he, he offers these kinds of definitions. Supreme excellence for sovereignty. Or supreme power. Or another important one in Webster, freedom from external control. That God is free because He's sovereign. The primary concepts involved in sovereignty are authority and control. And sovereignty, if he's king over everything and he does whatever he wants, it assumes that he's also omnipotent. He has all power. Well, let's begin looking at the Scriptures. Let's start with what I'll call the sovereignty of God defended. Let's just look at a sort of a 30,000 foot view of the big picture of Scripture uh, and see that the Bible does talk about the sovereignty of God. Let's start with a passage that we all know, even if we've never opened a Bible before, we know it even if we don't know where it is. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God, right? In the beginning, God created that has sovereignty of God oozing out of it, doesn't it? 
in the beginning, that's assuming before anything, God, and in the beginning, God created. And it goes on to explain He created everything. Everything that is, is, is God's creation. That, that, that is absolutely a declaration, a, a bold statement that God is the King. He's in charge. It's His. It belongs to Him. If I come over to your house and you'll talk to me about your yard and your plants and, and in your whatever it may be, and, and, and in that sense, you're the sovereign of your own household. You ladies, <laughs> just speak truthfully here. The idea is you're in charge of your home. It belongs to you, and so you do what you want with your stuff. Well, that gets us on the right track. God made everything which is different from us. It belongs to Him. He does whatever He wants. He is sovereign. No one has the right to question God about what He does with His stuff. It's all His. He made it from the very beginning, and that would include us. Well, let's look at some other passages. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Job, and then we'll look at the Psalms. If you turn to Job, and Job is roughly in the middle of the Bible. If you're new to the Bible, you can find it right there. Uh, The book of Psalms is just to the right. If you find the book of Job, and then we'll look at Psalm 103, and then Psalm 115, and then Psalm 135, just seeing that overall the Bible teaches God is in charge. God is the king. God is number one. God is sovereign. Genesis, uh, Job chapter 42, verse 2, is the text I'd like to draw your attention to. and It's a very clear declaration about the sovereignty of God, the godness of God, if you will. And it says there in verse 2 of Job 42, I know that you can do all things speaking to God, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted or stopped. There is someone who is declaring the sovereignty of God. No purpose of yours can be stopped. You can do all things. That's assuming that He's the King. That has sovereignty written all over it. And let's see the same thing in the book of Psalms. Psalm 103. Just move over to the right, and you'll see it in Psalm 103, Psalm 115, Psalm 135. And then I'll quickly take us to a couple of passages in Isaiah. Just filling our minds with the fact that God is God. We're not. God does what He wants and God is in charge. And I just can't help myself but insert as you're turning there. How practical is this? Talk about fueling our praise, our devotion, our worship. Let's keep God where He is, above us, in charge, King. Psalm 103, verse 19, it says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens. I can't help but read that. The Lord, that's a sovereign title, has established... Notice we didn't establish Him. Someone else didn't establish Him. The Lord has established, so He is the sovereign one who establishes His sovereignty, if you will, which is His throne. That's more sovereign terminology. And where is it? In the heavens. Sovereign, 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 sovereign. He did it. He is the Lord. And where did He establish it? He established it in the heavens. Which is above the earth. Which is above us. It's sovereignty. He's the King. And then He goes on to say, to essentially say the same thing, sort of in an abbreviated way. And, in other words, His sovereignty, which we've been seeing in the first part of the verse, rules over all. 
He's the king who established his own throne and it is way above us. He's, he's sovereign. This is great. We need a big, healthy dose of this. Because again, it reminds us who we are, who he is, who is the one who's to be praised and worshipped, and who's in charge. Then if you turn over to Psalm 115, I love Psalm 103, perhaps the best, but Psalm 115 and Psalm 135 are great follow-ups. Psalm 115, verse 3, look there with me and you'll see it say, But our God is in the heavens above us, sovereign. Here's the implication. He does what? He does whatever He pleases. He does whatever He wants to do. Because He's above us. And because He's sovereign. He's the King. If you turn over just several chapters to Psalm 135, verse 6, you'll see essentially the same thing. But I I love Psalm 115.3. He's in the heavens and he, He does whatever He pleases. He does whatever He wants to do. That assumes He has the power to do whatever He wants to do. Psalm 135, verse 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In in, In heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deeps, God is sovereign. He does whatever He wants to do. He does whatever He wants to do. And for those of us who are believers, who've grappled with this, wrestled with this, we, we say... Isn't this good? I love this. I mean, I said in the first hour, this is the stuff, if you will, that fireside chats are made of and where believers love to sit and dialogue and talk about the implications and and how this impacts our lives and our thinking and how rich and how great our great God is. This is the stuff. Again, I use that technical theological word a lot. This is the stuff that praise is made of. I mean, stop and think about it. That that we are below Him and He is above us. And He has all power and He does whatever He wants. It sounds a lot like He's God. (laughs) This is who God is. Why is it? Why is it that right now, somewhere, if not in multiple places, someone is sitting in front of their computer screen working on their doctoral dissertation trying to de-God God and prove that He is not sovereign? This is crazy. But we seem to be bent on this. I suppose as unbelievers, I understand that. I want to be God. I want to be in charge. I don't want somebody to be above me and tell me what to think and tell me what to do. I know Satan didn't like that very much. You go back to the fall in the garden. Adam and Eve didn't like it very much either. But we as Christians, we're acknowledging God for who God is. We're against the de-godding of God because we want to know who God really is as He revealed Himself and worship Him as a result. That's what makes this so exciting to me. Isaiah 14. Again, I'll ask you to turn there. Eventually we'll start running out of time and I'll just start reading passages, I suppose. But if you're in the book of Psalms, you just work your way to the right, to the Proverbs and a couple of small books and then you'll find Isaiah Isaiah 14, and then I'll read Isaiah 46. You can see it in Isaiah 55. Isaiah 14, verse 24 says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, verse 24, Surely, just as I have intended, 
So it has happened. And just as I have planned, so it will stand. He's sovereign. Drop down to verse 27. For, for the Lord of hosts has planned, and, and who can frustrate it? What's the answer? Nobody can. It's impossible because of who He is as the sovereign one. And then it goes on to say, And as for His stretched out hand, who can turn it back? Answer, class? No one. He's sovereign. Isaiah 46 verse 9 says, Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Sovereignty, sovereignty, sovereignty. Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. See, God does what He wants to do and it always happens the way He wants it to happen. Verse 11 of Isaiah 46, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly, I have spoken. Truly, I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely, I will do it. He's God. He's in charge. Isaiah 55, 11. God's word goes and it never returns void. It's because when he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And then I want you to turn to one other passage just at the 30,000 foot level. And that's 1 Timothy chapter 6 in the New Testament. If you see that, lest we think it's just an Old Testament truth. It certainly is everywhere. But if you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and then we'll look at one other New Testament passage. I love the sovereignty of God. No. Cross that out. I love God. And since I love God, I I love to talk about and think about and contemplate and have fellowship around who He really is. It's just sweet. It's magnificent. It's interesting though, as an aside, as you're turning there or you're just waiting for me to get there. It's amazing how many times, how many people I know, how many pastors I know that have either gotten kicked out of churches or almost gotten kicked out of churches or are in the process of getting kicked out of churches because of these verses. Because surely they don't really mean what they say. Folks, you're smart enough to know Surely, they mean what they say. God is God. Why is this controversial? He's God. If this isn't true, why don't we sing praises to ourselves? It would make a lot more sense. He's God. He's he's in charge. He does whatever He wants to do. And when He sets His mind to do something, it always happens. 1 Timothy 6 is is pretty amazing where it says in verse 15, several words into that uh, paragraph, it says, 
1 Timothy 6.15, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. By the way, those statements are sovereignty statements. He's a king above every other king. He's the Lord above every other Lord who alone possesses immortality and dwells in inapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. And then what do we end that with? Controversy? No. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. And then, what do Christians say to the sovereignty of God? Amen! Right? We say amen to that. That's the right response. It's the natural response. God is the only sovereign. He's in charge. He's above us. It's not you. It's not me. We don't take a church vote to figure this out. God is sovereign. And our only one and right and supernatural response is... A Baptist response, right? Amen! That's the response. That should be your response when you hear these things. It should be my response. Now, there's something in all of us, even as redeemed individuals, that, that we're still struggling. We won't be exactly like Christ till we see Him one day. And there's something in all of us that we want to be sovereign. We, we want to be in charge. But for the believer, we have power over that. We fight that. We say, no, we want God to really be God. We want to worship Him and acknowledge that He's different than we are and He is above us. One other passage in the New Testament, just again, 30,000 foot view, is Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. If you're in 1 Timothy, you have to move actually backward. And Ephesians 1 is really clear, as if the other ones weren't. I realize we're jumping into a context here. It's unfamiliar. Right now it is, but you know what? We've studied it in detail. We're not violating anything in the context. But look with me at just that one little section in Ephesians 1.11. Who, starts with who, can you find it there? Who, speaking of God, works all things. That's what I underlined. Who works all things after the counsel of His will. God works all things after the counsel of His will. I guess we're not to the application part, but for now I'll just encourage you and where you sit and where you are as you're taking all of this in. to answer the question to yourself whether or not you believe that's true. The Bible says God works all things after the counsel of His will. All things. The way you answer that tells a lot about you. And really, it tells whether or not you believe in the sovereignty of God. I'm going to try my very best to just keep giving you Scripture and keep giving you God's revelation of Himself because I want desperately for you to be able to say, I think all things there means all things there. Because that's going to be glorifying to God and it certainly is going to give you backbone in your life to live life up times, down times because you're clinging to not a small 
emaciated, wimpy genie of a God, but a God who works all things after the counsel of His will. That's the stuff, again, to use that technical term, that strong Christian living is made out of. Read a biography of a strong Christian man or woman. And you will find a Christian man or woman who had a strong commitment to the absolute sovereignty of God. Try to find a book written by a strong Christian man or woman missionary, let's say, who did not believe in the sovereignty of God And I say, good luck. Using that term very carefully and on purpose. Again, this this is the stuff that strong living to the glory of Jesus Christ is made of. And I want so badly as a pastor for people who are at Omaha Bible Church and beyond, for Christians, for my fellow Man, for men and women and children to, to get this. Maybe rejecting it entirely because, because uh, you're just being honest and saying, no, I don't believe in God. But if you believe in God, then you would believe in this God. Or reject this God. He works all things after the counsel of His will. Now, I imagine even at that big overarching level, you've got questions in your mind. Well, if that's the case, then what about... If that's the case, then what about... And there are all kinds of questions, and I don't want to be irresponsible and not answer any of those kinds of questions. But I'm going to do my very best to avoid most of them, at least today. Because what happens too many times is we read the verse, he works all things after the counsel of his will, but you know, you have to... I'm going to do my very best just to leave it there. And if it has to mess with us and make us uncomfortable, you know what? If it's true, it's true. Just leave it there for now. And I realize that 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 big pill, if you will, labeled sovereignty of God in all things is sometimes tough to swallow. But Christianity is Christ's religion. He has revealed this to us. It's not ours. And so we're going to do our best to swallow it and say, Lord, I have questions, maybe. But I'm going to do my very best to embrace you for who you've revealed yourself to be. All right, let's move on to number two, if you will. And this will be multifaceted. Let's call it the sovereignty of God demonstrated. So the sovereignty of God defended, which was just an overview. Now let's move on to the sovereignty of God demonstrated, which is just looking at more detail at these things. Uh, But we're going to see how the sovereignty of God is demonstrated in a number of different areas of life. Let's start with the physical world. That God is sovereign over this world that we live in. And we already saw Genesis 1.1. He's certainly sovereign over the physical world. Let me quickly give you some other passages. Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. God, you made all of this. If you made all of this, nothing's too difficult for you. But notice he's acknowledging, God, you made everything. 
sovereignty of God is demonstrated in the physical world. Job 36, 32, he covers his hands with the lightning and commands, that is the lightning, to strike the mark. God commands the lightning to strike the mark. It shows the sovereignty of God over his creation. I don't know exactly how that works. Let's just be honest. I don't know. But I do know that Job 32, Job 36, 32 says it. All right, God is in control. He didn't just wind up the earth and walk away and He has nothing to do with it. He commands where it's going to strike. That brings up lots of questions about lots of things. Well, let's just leave them there for now. How about Matthew 5, verse 45? Listen to this, and then I'll have you go to another passage. So that uh, it says in Matthew 5, 45 says, He, God, causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And we say that's a passage about the common grace of God. He has the sun rise on the unbeliever and the believer, and they enjoy the benefits, and the rain to fall on the believer and the unbeliever, they enjoy the benefits. But nevertheless, the point is, God is the one who is in charge of the sun. God is the one who is in charge of the rain. God is sovereign over nature. Now I'd like you to turn to Amos, if you would, which may make some of you extremely uncomfortable. Amos. Now, I think the first thing that's making you uncomfortable is you don't know where Amos is. <laughs> and so, uh, go to Matthew, if you would, and then just work your way backward. Oh, let's say ten or so books. I'm not very sure of the number of books. But if you go to Amos, and I do want you to see this. I want you to see it in your Bible, if you would. If you can't find it, look at the table of context, con- contents. We're seeing God is sovereign, even over creation. And this one is just about more than some people can handle. Amos 3.6 If you haven't found it by now, just pretend. And be motivated this week to learn the books of the Bible. We're going to do an Old Testament survey coming up. Okay? We'll do them in order. won't be that hard. Amos 3.6 says, If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? Okay, that's not really what we're looking at. I have underlined the second part. Notice what it says in the end. If a calamity, it's a word for disaster, occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? I don't know about you, but it makes me do this. Bite my lip and think, huh. It might make you think, yeah, but what does it mean in Hebrew? (laughs) If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? Yeah, but what does it mean in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament? If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? See, I, I was telling you the truth when I said some of this is a tough pill to swallow. And now there's all kinds of questions. If you're not asking asking questions in your mind about how this fits into your bigger system of theology, you're, you're probably not thinking. There are questions that come as a result of this. Again, I don't want to be irresponsible and not entertain those questions. But for now, 
I say read the verse. I say swallow the pill. God is sovereign. He is in charge. And He works all things after the counsel of His will. Yes, there are other issues. And if this is messing with your view of God, then I say praise be to God. One of the most affirming things I've ever heard about my own particular ministry, the ministry God has given me. I remember when I was a, a, a college pastor. Basically, I was, a, I was the English-speaking pastor at a Chinese church in Southern California, i.e., uh, I was a pastor to some UCLA students. <laughs> and there I was, and, and there was a visitor uh, with us on a Sunday morning, and I was really glad she was there. She had been coming for several weeks, and we weren't talking about this issue this one day, she was just bawling and she was crying. And so we stepped outside afterward and getting ready to go to lunch and downstairs with all the other students. And, and I said, you know, what, what's wrong? And I loved what she said. She said, basically, I keep coming here and you're teaching me the Bible. And through tears, she said, and you are distorting my view of God. And even though I was sensitive and all those things on the outside, on the inside, I was singing, Hallelujah. You know, I was so excited. I was so affirmed. I was thinking, this is, maybe I should be a pastor. This is great. Because the fact of the matter is, whether it's this issue or some other issue, we're seeking to understand Christianity, and Christianity has been revealed to us in God's Word. The Bible, it's the Christian book, and we submit ourselves to it, and we say, God, distort our view of you. Now, that's the negative way of saying, God, fix my distorted view of you and bring it into line with what you've said about yourself, right? If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? Again, I know there's all kinds of questions. Let's wait. Let's get there. I understand there are issues that come up even as a result of statements like that. Since you're in Amos, why don't you turn to Amos 4.7 as we continue to distort our views of God and bring them into line with Scripture. It says in Amos 4.7, Furthermore, I withheld the rain from you while there was still three months until the harvest. Until harvest. Again, sovereign over creation. Then I would send rain on one city, and on another city I would not send rain. One part would be rained on, while the part not rained on would dry up. He's sovereign over creation. You don't need to turn there for the sake of time, but Acts 14.17 basically says the same thing. Isaiah 40, verse 12, would affirm the very same thing we're talking about here. God is in charge. He's sovereign. Uh, His sovereignty is demonstrated in the created order. He's in charge. He's not the deist God. Let's move on to another sub-point. Still talking about, first we talked about the sovereignty of God defended on a big level, then the sovereignty of God demonstrated. We're on number two, but looking at sub-points, not only in the natural realm, but also in the angelic realm. In the angelic realm. Uh, you can just jot down Job chapter two verses three and six, and there's the interchange there with Job and with God, or excuse me, with Satan and with God, and Satan is wanting to go after Job, and he does in fact, but based upon whose permission? 
God's permission. God is sovereign in the angelic realm as well. Absolutely sovereign in the angelic realm. And when I say angelic, I mean angels and fallen angels, which would include demons and the ruler of the demons, Satan himself. Job chapter 2. And this would be a whole other conversation to have at a different time. But just showing how practical this is, you listen to people sometimes who are really, really consumed with the spiritual warfare movement. And I believe in spiritual warfare. It's real. I believe Ephesians chapter 6 is true and applicable. But when people start moving beyond the Scriptures and it's kind of all-consuming in their life, and just listen. And what you hear is some sort of view of the sovereignty of Satan. Satan isn't sovereign. But so many times you hear people and they mean well. Like Satan's in charge? Like Satan can't be stopped unless you have some kind of special formula to go after Satan and all of these kinds of things? No. We should be clinging to the sovereignty of God and if Satan is going to do anything, it's under the sovereign hand and control of God. There are a lot of things that Martin Luther said that I don't agree with. Some things I couldn't quote from this pulpit lest I get fired. He was a pretty crass man. But I think Martin Luther was onto something when he said, God's most devout servant is Satan. That's not a verbatim quote, but that's what he said. Now, Satan is morally accountable. He is bad. He is evil. He is wicked. He opposes God. But know for certain, God is sovereign, not Satan, and God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and to those who are called according to His purpose. We're going to get to that. I trust in the sovereignty of God. I don't get somehow overwhelmed by the sovereignty of Satan. He's not sovereign. Jesus Christ, the Colossians tells us, is sovereign over all the angelic realm and it exalts Christ in such a great way. Colossians 1.16 For by Him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions. I don't know anybody who doesn't think that's referring to the angelic realm or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him and He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. Jesus Christ, the sovereign Savior, sovereign in the angelic realm. I'm using self-control to not say more about that now. Let's move on to another sub-point, sub-category of number two. It's the sovereignty of God demonstrated. How about in the animal kingdom, the animal realm? Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, let's see it in the animal realm. And I realize this is, in one sense, a Bible study, and it's not much of a sermon, and this is more of a lecture that belongs in the Bible Institute or whatever it is, but, but I'm so burdened that we don't actually know this in our Bibles that we'll take the time to do it. Let's see it in the Bible. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. He is sovereign over every area of life. And now we're on the animal realm. The animal realm. Matthew 10.29. Notice what it says in 10.29. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? Let me ask you. What does that mean? It means sparrows are basically worthless, Right? Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? You get two for a penny. And yet, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. 
worthless, almost worthless, little birds, and not a single one of them, a half-cent bird, falls down apart from your Father, God, sovereign over the animal kingdom. Sparrows are worth half a penny. I think this is why my parents let me, this little snot-nosed boy, shoot him with my Daisy Red Rider BB gun right off the clothesline. And then I would be depressed. <laughs> I have to look at the little dead bird. But even the snot-nosed little bratty kid shooting birds off the clothesline killed one of those birds apart from God who works all things after the counsel of His will. That doesn't mean, and I know I'm, I'm violating my own principle just for a moment, that doesn't mean that snotty-nosed, bratty little Pat isn't morally accountable for killing the birds. Okay, we're going to get to that. We are morally accountable for doing the things that we do. But I didn't want to talk about that yet. Not a single bird falls apart from God being in charge. He works all things after the counsel of His will. We, don't, we won't take the time to go there. Daniel chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den, you know the account. He attributes God as the one using angelic means to close the mouth of the bone-crushing lion's jaw. Psalm 104.21, the young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. Sovereign over the animal realm. How about sovereign over national affairs? So we're seeing the sovereignty of God demonstrated. We've seen it all these different ways. How about demonstrated in national affairs? We have an election coming up for a president. That's a pretty big deal. I'm concerned. I'm going to vote. I would encourage you to vote. I would encourage you to be concerned. Here we are as American citizens, those of us who are. I take those things seriously. should perhaps take them more seriously. But I take those things seriously. But I also remember that Psalm 47, 7 says, For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. So Hillary might be the next president. For good or for bad. God sits on His throne, ruling over all the kings of the earth. God is in charge. You know the passage, if you've been a Christian very long, Daniel 2.21. It is He who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. God is working through all things according to the counsel of His will. Remember, in the beginning, God created. Remember, God has already written the end of history. He's not just making it up as He goes. There is a plan. There is an unfolding plan and it will ultimately come to fruition. Again, you're morally accountable, I believe, for voting, doing the right thing as a citizen. I think that person who will be president, whoever it is, morally accountable, absolutely but the person who takes office will be in office according to the divine decree of God, whether it be as a blessing to our nation or a curse upon our nation. Make no mistake about it. 
And so when you're up late glued to the TV, whether it's CNN or Fox, you fight about it. There you are, you know, losing sleep. And who's it going to be? And who's it going to be? And getting an ulcer and taking Tums and Rolaids and Pepsid and all this stuff. And you're like, ah. Don't be calling my house. I'm sleeping. To the glory of God, I did my part. I did my best. I prayed. I'm going to keep praying. But the sovereignty of God is practical. Even in our next election that we will have. Most certainly it is. Just a few more and then we'll be done. Still sub-points of the second. So we saw sovereignty of God defended, sovereignty of God demonstrated. We're seeing it demonstrated not only in national affairs. How about in, in, let's call it human affairs, just the things we do. I want you to look at two passages. I want you to look at James chapter 4, and then I'll quickly take you to Proverbs 16. In human affairs. Which one do you want to go to? You want to go to Proverbs? Go to Proverbs. It's easier to find. Okay? Go to Proverbs in the middle of the Bible. Psalms, then Proverbs. And as you... Yeah, go to Proverbs 16. In our day-to-day living, we acknowledge the sovereignty of God. Oh, maybe we don't acknowledge the sovereignty of God, but we really should acknowledge the sovereignty of God. Because we see it demonstrated in human affairs, in our everyday living. Proverbs 16.9 says, The mind of man plans his way. That's me. That's you. Nothing wrong with that. But the Lord directs his steps. That's really straightforward. You come up with a plan, and you know what? In the end, God's plan is going to be what prevails. In the end, ultimately, God directs your steps. And how about, stay in Proverbs if you would, James expects Christians to have good enough theology to know this and act like it. No, let me even clarify that. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who would have spent personal time with him, expects you and me to believe this to such a degree, such a fundamental degree as Christians, that we would not only act like we believe God is sovereign in our lives, we would talk like we believe God is sovereign in our lives. I'll prove it to you. Just listen to James chapter 4. James 4.15, the context is people who make all these plans, and we're going to do this, we're going to do that. James 4.15, you know the passage. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. That's someone who's talking like they believe that God is sovereign in everyday affairs. That's why it's okay to have a plan, and it's good to have a plan. It's wise to have a plan, but you've got to have this constant attitude that even comes out in your speech, at least sometimes. It says, you know, we're going to go to Yellowstone Park on vacation next year, if the Lord wills. We might be dead by then. I might be dead by then. We might be sick. We might be busy. We might be doing something else. Plan to go to school. Plan to be better educated. Plan to pursue the promotion. Plan to do this with your children. Plan to do this savings account. Plan to do this kind of retirement. Plan to do whatever it is you need to do. Go shopping tomorrow. And I don't think we have to be legalists and always say it every single time. But our attitude certainly, and certainly it's coming out of our mouth sometimes, Lord willing, God willing, we will do this. When you say that, you're showing that you really believe in the sovereignty of God. 
Make your plans. But acknowledge that God is sovereign. Isn't it interesting, James 4, we know it so well. I know all kinds of people who don't believe in the absolute sovereignty of God that quote James 4 all the time. When people quote James 4, they're talking like people who believe in the sovereignty of God because it absolutely is an acknowledgement of it. Well, just a couple more of these sub-points. How about the sovereignty of God demonstrated in what I'm going to call coincidence or coincidental happenings. You're in Proverbs. Look at Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap for sake of current illustration. We would understand it. You, you, you roll the dice. The lot is cast into the lap. Oh, I'm hoping for good luck. Oh, come on. Come on. What do you say? Snake eyes? Or I don't know. I've never done this in my life. You know, whatever. I'm playing Monopoly. Come on. I want to get two so I can land on whatever. And whatever. You get the idea. I don't get out much. Don't play many games. But you get it. You're, you're hoping for good luck. The lot is cast into the lap. Oh, keep reading. But it's every decision is from the Lord. Coincidence? I don't believe in luck. I think people who talk about luck reveal that they have a pagan worldview. Oh, that was offensive. Now, I realize you do it and you don't really mean to say it. I realize there's probability and these things we can do through math and science. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about sheer luck. The luck of the draw. I don't believe in it. You go for the dice, it's every decision is from the Lord. Hmm. So, and we go to a sporting event, let's just be practical for a minute here in another sense. What do you say to your kids? Good luck. That's fine if you do that. And kids, don't beat up on your parents if they say that. They mean well. They're growing too, just like I am. I say, do, do your best. Do well. Try to win to the glory of God. Forget this outcome-based education thing. Just go out there and try. It's okay if you lose. No. <laughs> now, not in the notes. Not in the notes. <laughs> go do your best to the glory of God. I did like it the other day, and, and Jonathan, one of his, his competitors, I was standing right there, and he said, Good luck. And Jonathan said, what do you mean luck? You have a small view of God or something? I don't even believe... No. You know what? I liked it that he didn't say that. He said, thank you. You too. You know what? You don't need to be a bully. You don't need to be Bible bully, Christian, beating everybody up over the thing. But I'm hoping that those of you who are listening... are at least going to be haunted by this. And you're thinking, it's every decision is from the Lord. How can I practically acknowledge the sovereignty of God in all things? Well, I could start saying Lord willing more often, perhaps, at least thinking it. And I could stop saying things like good luck. You know, this actually really is practical. The way we talk reveals how we believe and how we think. Coincidence? Well, I want to end on this one because I love it so much. And this is what causes me perhaps to be motivated by uh, perhaps more than anything else. But we see the sovereignty of God demonstrated in His great, amazing care for His children. If you turn to Romans chapter 8, 
you probably know the passage well. But I'm here to say to you, if you don't believe in the absolute sovereignty of God, then you better get out a magic marker and get rid of Romans 8. And you better make sure you're not ever sure of your salvation. No, don't do that. Keep Romans 8 in your Bible. Be sure of your salvation if you truly are a child of God. But know for certain the reason you can be sure, the reason we can have any sense of assurance and security is because of who God is. And He is sovereign. And He is in control. Romans 8.28, we know the passage, but it's built upon the bedrock of theology that says God is sovereign. It says in Romans 8.28, we know, and we know. How about that? Paul is assuming that Christians who are really baby Christians when he wrote the letter. We know. He's saying, you baby Christians. This isn't the stuff for like super duper Christians. This is, this, this is not the meat of the Word. You're getting at Omaha Bible Church today. This is milk. This is baby Christian stuff. Right? But I need some milk, apparently, because I, I, I forget God is sovereign, or I don't think He's sovereign, or how can it be? He's assuming, and we know, we know, all Christians know this, that God causes all things to work together. You fill it in there. Good things, bad things, indifferent things, circumstantial things. You think about the bad things that have happened in your life. You think about the good things that have happened in your life. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Isn't this good? Isn't this great? This is why I will roll my sleeves up and I will fight anyone who says... God isn't sovereign. He is. He is sovereign. And this is why we can have assurance. And this is why we can go through the, the, the deepest, darkest valley of light that we couldn't even imagine and have somehow backbone through it all and trust in God because we know that He causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him. I don't know of anything more practical than this. This is what will sustain you. This is what will get you through the hard time. Trusting that God is bigger than you or me and that He's in charge and in the end, ultimately, He has your best interest in mind which is ultimately going to be aimed for His glory. Isn't this good? What's the right believer response? 1 Timothy 6. Amen. We say amen. So let's recover a big God. Let's recover the big God that will go out of Scripture, even if it causes us to have questions we can't answer. We'll look at some questions next time. Yes, we will. I promise. I know you're thinking, then how is it that God is holy if He also causes all things to work together? I know you're thinking, perhaps, then does this make God the author of evil? The answer is no, and we'll get there. But leave it alone for now. And now let's pray. Father, thank You for this morning and thank You for a great time together in Your Word, looking all over the place, seeing again and again and again that You are God and that You are supreme. You are above us and You do, in fact, as this great and sovereign God, care for us and You have our best interest in mind. Lord, we know these things are true only because of Your great Son and Your perfect sovereign plan of redemption. And so our 
focus is directed toward Him and lifting Him high and exalting Him. Lord, may You continue to bless us as a church. May You continue to stoke the fires in our hearts as we're impressed and more impressed and more and more impressed with who You are and what You've done. Lord, may it be that we can't help but talk about You and brag about You and boast in You so that believers might be encouraged and unbelievers might be repentant before You, the great Sovereign One. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.